Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Edge, the official podcast of Bass Edge Television, brought to you by our great friends at Ditch Witch. Bass Edge Television can be seen on the World Fishing Network and also up on the Wild TV Network in Canada, and we'll be back on our home network of the Versus Network, that is, in January 2009. This is Outdoors Dan. I've got Aaron Martin, who is the host of Bass Edge TV, right alongside. And Aaron, I guess we're going to be checking in with the boy from the Ozark. That's right, uh, legend Dion Hibden, and he is going to share with us. We get to get in and pick his brain a little bit but specifically about fishing slow, which is something I think all of us can uh, glean a lot from. Well, there you go. And then we're going to go into another Inside Edge segment. What's up with that one this week? Inside Edge is with uh, Dr. Fish, the man himself you like to call a substitute for Dr. Phil, and that is Jay McNamara, author. And that author? Is Jay McNamara, author of The Psychology of Exceptional Fishing. And, oh, I uh, thought you were calling him Jay McNamara, author. I'm going, when uh, did he get a new name? <laughs> no. Never mind. No. That's all right. That's all right. So we got a lot of stuff to talk about, and uh, we're also going to throw some great questions out at there. And uh, I don't know what else Aaron's got up. He's being kind of evasive, but something's happening. We're going to hear all about that when we come back right here on the edge. You're listening to the Edge, the official audio program of Bass Edge, brought to you in part by Ditch Witches on Experience the Revolution. Oh, look here. I got one. I got one. Look here. <laughs> I mean, he whacked that football jig. The blades will dictate a lot of times the speed of the retrieve or the depth of that bait. Oh, good fish. Good fish. Did you see him come off that log? Woo, look at that song gun, man. That's awesome. You know, you've got to just stay after it. Fishing is not easy. Oh, man, that's a toad. This is unbelievable. All right, welcome to The Edge, and it's our talking point time, and Aaron and I were just kind of talking about the Hibden plan, and you know, Guido and Dion, father and son, the only ones that win the FLW Championship and the Bass Classic. I think that is correct. There may have been uh, another one, you know, that has happened since then, but I know they were certainly the first ones to do that. You know, that was, I, I can remember, you know, when the, all that went down, starting to show our age here a little bit, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's just exciting to see what they've been able to do, and, and certainly, you know, with the potential now of a third generation coming into it with uh, Dion's boys. Yeah, it's crazy. Hey, uh, what's the uh, SOPIA? Seopa. Seopa. Yeah, it's an acronym. You know, have, did you, I know, yeah, did I know you what an acronym. English, Those are yeah. good with crackers. Yeah, but, exactly. Uh, but what, it's, it's, it's oh, I know what it is. You know I know what it is. Southeast yeah. Outdoor Press Association. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. See, see what Crib Notes does for you? I, I hear you. And, yeah. You know, what, what are, and how'd, you get your, uh, how'd you get hooked into them? You know, they they actually, of course, were members, you know, being in the media and kind of with the outdoor uh, writers through Steve Brigman as well. But um, they were in the uh, the hunt for a keynote speaker and uh, called us. And Jay basically kind of got on the list. I think it was narrowed down to he and Governor Huckabee at the time. And so he's on his way shortly to head out there to be the keynote speaker. So that's pretty neat. All right. I had some concerns. I didn't know who Sophia was. So. <laughs> <clears throat> Yeah. Just, just making sure everything's okay. That's not who you were with last time, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't say that. And don't, don't you get me in trouble with the wife either, right. man. Okay. That was not outdoors, Dan. That was your husband that yeah. said that. <laughs> hey, uh, also, you guys got a big event coming up on September 26th and 28th. You're going to do another NASCAR deal, huh? Yeah, we are. I'm looking, always looking for We have so much fun at those. You know, it's nice to be able to go out and uh, – kind of jump in on the racing scene, but also yeah, I just can't believe the amount of uh, overlap there is between, you know, the, the 
racing scene and kind of the outdoor community. But that is going to take place September 26th through the 28th. We will join O'Reilly Auto Parts, you know, with the truck and the boat being present there in their booth. Lots of free giveaways at the NASCAR race there in uh, Kansas City. You know what? Uh, Des Moines just got a major announcement. Uh, Rusty Wallace was up here. We're going to have NASCAR up here in Newton now. Oh, at, exciting. At the, New, at the Newton Speedway, yeah. Wow. Yeah, so I'm looking forward to that next year. They're going to add another 20,000 seats. Good night. You know, it's amazing. 60,000-something people. It's, it's amazing how fast that, that sport has grown. I know I've been to, you know, several races now, like at Bristol and Dallas and stuff like that through our promotional work there. But you go to those places and, you know, 180,000 people. And, I mean, it's just off the wall. And uh, so it's it's a lot of fun, though. It, it's a culture, really. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so. it's, a neat thing. it's a neat thing to see. Hey, uh, Kielgard, what's going on with them? Oh, man, uh, a lot of great stuff there. Matter of fact, um, I was hoping it was going to be this week, but they have a new product that they're going to be coming out with, and I can't uh, share it yet. They haven't given me the go-ahead. But uh, once again, you know, they're they're kind of the staple for innovative things when it comes to boat protection and things along those lines. Um, but that will be uh, released shortly, and looking forward to kind of, you know, throwing that out there. More specifically, though, what I can say about Kielgard is, you know, this high water that's been going on all over has really put a lot of the marinas, at least in the Midwest that, that I've been around, you know, where the, the courtesy docks, if they even have a courtesy dock, are way out off the water, so you're having to park, you know, on the on the side of the, the beach and uh, just get into the gravel and the rocks and stuff like that. That's really what kind of saves my boat is, is just that keel guard on the front of it. So. Yeah, well, there's a lot of stuff going on. I guess we're going to just get right to Dion because I know a lot of people want to hear what he has to say, and I know I'm one of them, so why don't we do that? No question. Folks, we'll be right back with Dion Hibden right here on The Edge. Give any type of boat the edge with MegaWare Keel Guard. It's simple to install, and we can now beach our boat anywhere. If you own a boat, you need one of these. MegaWare Keel Guard protects the keel of your boat from sand abrasion, from underwater obstructions, even concrete boat ramps. Kit started under $140, and best yet, it's guaranteed to keep on protecting for life. Thanks, MegaWare Keel Guard. Thanks, MegaWare Keel Guard. Welcome back to The Edge, brought to you in part by Ditch Witches On, establishing a new standard in trencher power and versatility. All right, we are back on The Edge, and our next guest who is joining us is an angler who has won both the BASS Classic and the FLW Championship, and a true legend in the sport, and that is Dion Hibden. Dion, thank you so much for being part of The Edge. Well, it's good to be here. You know, Dion, before we kind of get into the, the meat and potatoes part of the interview of what I like to call, you're uh, really a, a second-generation angler and also paving the way, really, for soon to be a, a third generation. Absolutely. We've done it together for a long time. You know, Dad's been doing it for 35 years or so, and I got into it right after I got out of school. And, and like I say, it, it's one of those deals we don't we don't take it for granted what we do and how we do it. You know, we know that it's pretty special that you know it's a father and a son and probably the neatest thing about it is you know i've grown up spending basically you know every day with my father you know a lot of families ain't that close anymore but you know fortunately enough i've spent the last 23 years of my life with my dad you know day after day you know we're out there chasing him around and like i say we're a pretty tight-knit bunch well, and, you know, that is pretty special, and, and I think that's a great point in the fact that uh, not a lot of us, you know, get to do that. And, you know, from watching you and, and all of us whom have, have paid attention to what has transpired uh, amongst the Hibdens, you know, it, it is pretty special. You're always the consummate professionals on how you represent not only yourselves but also the sport. You know, one question that I would like to throw out there is, do those opportunities, do you feel, still exist for the entry into the sport? 
you know, like you witnessed uh, very early on? It's different than it used to be, but there's a lot more options now. Uh, fishing, actually, as far as I'm concerned, it's a lot more friendly than it used to be as far as newcomers to get into the sport and everything. And uh, when I got into it, you know, I basically started fishing BASS, you know. Uh, and when I say that, you know, I graduated out of high school. There were no really startup type situations. You know, you either fished with the big boys or you, uh, you know, fished locally. So it was kind of a different situation than it is now. Nowadays, you got a lot of good circuits that, you know, you can start a little bit lower key and work up to the big stuff. I think our sport's a lot more fisherman friendly now, you know, for the most part, uh, as far as, you know, guys getting into it. And it shows. I mean, you know, look at all the young guys we've got out there chasing them around nowadays, you know. Shoot, I'm an old guy now. <laughs> well, that's, hey, that's pretty scary to think. <laughs> it, it, it is, you know, and when you look at, uh, you know, what's taking place within the collegiate organizations that are out there, uh, the learning curve has suddenly gotten pretty steep, and uh, it's amazing to see what the young people, uh, you know, are doing. And, you know, in a recent, uh, I guess, quotation when, when asked, uh, you know, why you fish, I, I think your response was, you know, I've never done anything else that I'd want to do for a living. It's part of me and I can't ever think of not doing it. It's in my blood. You know, is there a, a short summary that you could give us, you know, to describe kind of that feeling that goes through every time, you know, you strap on the life jacket, turn the key, and, and hit the throttle? You know, it, it's a, that's exactly the way I feel about it. I, I can't feature doing anything else. I've, I've never done anything else pretty much my whole life, and it's still exciting to me. You know, when I took off last week in the FLW Championship to fish for a million dollars that first day, I mean, I had goosebumps when they played the national anthem. You know, it's just one of those deals. I still love it. I still enjoy it. And uh, when I I caught about a four pounder on a topwater bait about 30 minutes into it, and I I had the shakes so bad I couldn't hardly reach out my bait. You know, and, and that's that's a joy that I hope all kids get to see at some point in time. You know, in their life, and and have the desire to do it like what we do. You know, I fished a tournament with my dad, and he's still the same way. You know, he caught about a four pounder, and I dipped it up, got a live well. I mean, he was we were high five and in the boat and stuff like that it's still it's just a sport that doesn't get old sure. you know it's something that we really love to do and it's it's never turned into a job for me it's what i love well and, and you know a lot of times what we talk about here on the edge is the, the, the fact that even though perhaps you we're not paying maybe a an entry fee into an organized tournament bottom line even if you're still recreationally fishing it's it's a competition between you and the fish you know, so do you still notice that even when you're recreationally fishing, or is it always under the formalized competition? Oh, no, absolutely. It's even when I'm out crappie fishing or watching a catfish jug bop up and down out there, you know, figuring it out, putting the pieces to the puzzle together is the thrill of it. You know, you can go out there and you can have a little decent tournament, you know, and you can have a halfway tournament. And then you look back at it and you think, man, if I would have just changed this or I'd just changed that, it would have been perfect, you know. And that's what it's all about for me is, you know, figuring it out, putting a plan together and and uh that plan coming through and working so that's 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 the cool thing about it is really just figuring it all out you well, know it's uh it's a job it's a game you know <laughs> however you want to put it uh but that's what i enjoy about it well and and speaking directly about figuring it out one of the things that you have obviously figured out then has paid huge dividends down through the years is uh what you really classify i think as, as one of your strengths and and that is the topic of fishing slow you know, slow is kind of a relative term, but is there a way that you could possibly help us understand and, and really embrace your definition of, of, you know, fishing slow? My dad's always kind of been one of those ones, why run away from fish to find fish? And, and that entails 
you know, a lot of times really working them out, you know, and, and when I say that, you know, instead of fishing through a place one time and, and not catching a fish, well, maybe you fish through it with the wrong bait, you know, or the whole wrong, you know, presentation completely, you know, maybe those fish were suspended where the day before they were on the bottom, you know, you just kind of got to not be in too big a hurry to, you know, run away from something. And that comes with a lot of patience, too. You know, patience plays a huge part in the way I fish and the way I perform out there. Some guys get rattled by 10 o'clock if they don't have two or three in the boat, you know, and, and you just, you can't let that get to you, you know. But like I say, we probably utilize small patches of fish better than most because we're, we're pretty patient. We don't get away from them, you know. If you don't catch them in the first 30 minutes of the day, you know, don't panic. It'll happen. And like I say, they may have just been doing a little bit of something that, you know, you weren't doing the day before, you know, and you may just have to adjust your plan just a little bit. So you just kind of got to, you know, have a little patience, fish slow, you know, make it work. But not getting in too big a hurry to run away from a patch of fish that you found a day or two before makes a huge difference. Well, and I, th- I think that's imperative because, you know, quite frankly, all of us know we are in a day and age of, you know, where kind of fishing fast seems to be in vogue. You know, it's, it's like all we talk about is covering water and covering water, and certainly that has its place. But for recreational anglers and beginning anglers, um, we can possibly send the wrong message if we're moving through these areas that you speak of too quickly. Oh, absolutely. You know, like I say, it's, it's easy. And you, you talk about recreational fishing. Recreational fishing is one of those deals, for the most part, is a guy who's worked five days all week long. He's got the weekend to take off and go fishing, and he's just in as big a hurry as I am, <laughs> you know, fishing yeah. a tournament because he knows he's only got a couple of days to fish, so he wants to find them in a hurry. So it's it's the exact same situation, just, you know, for one's for money and one's for fun. And like I say, I see those guys just as eager and just as fast-paced as I am, and they're just out there trying to find a fish so they can catch one. Sure. And whereas you have a, a couple of days to practice, uh, they've only got a couple of days on the water to, to figure things out as well. That's right. They've got Saturday and Sunday lots of times to go out and catch fish. And it's even magnified if you've got kids in the boat because they've got the same pressure. You know, they uh, you know they want their kids to catch a fish, and so they got to get them figured out pretty quick. Well, perhaps you could walk us through kind of the mind chatter that's going on, you know, because let's say... You know, in the situation like you speak of, a lot of guys get rattled maybe by 10 o'clock if they don't have a fish in the boat. Whereas, you know, you might actually sit kind of on that hole or make another pass. What are you using to kind of tell yourself, hey, this is worthy of another pass or trying a different bait or using to keep your nerves and, and things calm? Well, I figure I got an eight-hour day. The, the thing that calms me down and keeps me at a slow pace better than anything uh, is I tell myself I've only got to catch five. You know, I've got to come in with five before the day's out. And if at, you know, 10 o'clock you know, uh, I don't have one. All I've got to do is catch one every hour before I go in. And I kind of break it down that way to keep myself in check. You know, when it gets down to the last two hours of the day, you know, then I might get a little more fast-paced and, you know, a little bit more scatter-headed. But, you know, up until about noon, you know, it, it doesn't take that much to catch five fish, you know, especially once you get on them, once you figure out the right little bait uh, or the right side of a point, you know, or they're on the shady side of a dock or, you know, it's once that little dab clicks in, then you know from past experience how fast you can catch five. And that's how I keep it in check for me. You know, I, I just don't let it bother me, you know. And what warrants me staying on an area or staying with some fish, you know, I've got to see something. I'm not dumb. I'm not going <laughs> to stay there all day and I'm not bite, you know. Uh, you know, but if I've got a lot of confidence in the area and I know there's a lot of fish in that area and there's no reason why they would have moved, uh, you know, I'm going to give them a couple, three tries, you know, maybe 
change up baits at them, you know, a little bit and give them a couple different, you know, looks at, at what I, at my different ideas, you know. Sure. Uh, and it kind of depends on time of the year, too. You know, there are certain times of the year where, you know, I make one cast to a rock or a tree and I don't get a bite to heck with it. I'm moving on, uh, you know, when you know they're really aggressive. The summertime is, you know, one of those deals that, you know, you really have to kind of pay attention to fish because they might be standing right there and just not eating, you know, and that a lot of that has to do with the moon and feeding at night and stuff like that, you know, when it's really hot. You know, there's a lot of different ideas, a lot of different things for the time of the year, you know. In the springtime, I'm a lot faster fisherman in the springtime than I am any other time of the year. If something's not going right, I go down a bank and I don't catch them. I might give them a faster-paced look than the jig I just pitched at them. But as soon as that's over with, I'm done. I'm going to move on because the fish are aggressive that time of the year. And, and you know, you, you don't want to stick with a spot for too long a time sure. you know, because they're biting somewhere. Absolutely. And, you know, with, with that being said, let's say when you when you have the group in the, in the example that you use being summertime, perhaps that maybe they're there, but they're just not biting. Is that a situation to where that you see that? Uh, they, they, you're going to throw more offerings or more baits at them, or basically are you done and out of there and on to your next location? Well, in the summertime, I'm going to change up. Fish to spend a lot in the summertime. In fact, they probably spend about 60-70% of their time suspended up off of the bottom, and that's one of the toughest fish in the world to catch. Uh, you know, in the summertime, they're primarily feeding on shad 99% of the time. That's what they're feeding on in most of our local lakes here. Uh, you know, and around the world for the most part. Uh, and those shad are, you know, you got to pay attention where they're at. Are they up off the bottom? Uh, are you seeing them on your depth finder 10 foot deep? Or are you seeing them on the surface? So if I pull in there where I've caught them on a worm one day and I don't catch them on the day that I'm there, you know, I'm going to assume that they're up off the bottom. And so therefore I'm going to give them a crankbait look or, you know, something suspended. You know, to where you know, to where I don't fish below him. Uh, the worst thing you can do on a suspended bass is fish below him because he's not even looking down there. As soon as the bass pulls off the bottom, uh, when he's done feeding on the bottom, he looks towards the surface. You know, that's where he looks for his next meal is above him. And if you're fishing below him, he's not even seeing your bait. You know, then you've got to have the odds in your favor that you throw close enough to him to attract him to chase your bait to the bottom. Uh, and that's not very good odds that you're going to throw out there in the middle of that big old lake and make your worm close enough to him that he's going to chase it to the bottom. So therefore, your offerings have to be above that fish. So in the summertime, as soon as I don't catch a fish on the bottom, I'm going to make sure he's not suspended up off the bottom, you know, by throwing a crankbait at him or something of that form. And then really um, just using the, the depth uh, or the how deep the crankbait runs, uh, kind of from the information that you gleaned off the depth finder as far as what relation and where the bait fish are holding in, in regards to the water column. Absolutely. You're gonna, you, you always want to stay above them. If the bulk of your shad are 10 to 12 foot deep, you know, you're going to want to throw a crankbait that runs in 7 or 8 foot deep. Uh, fish will come 5, 6 foot, you know, and depending on the water clarity, I mean, as the water clarity goes, heck, they might come as far as 10, 12 foot deep. Uh, you know, yeah, you look at, Lakes like Table Rock and Bull Shoals where you can see 15 foot deep. A fish will travel, you know, 10, 12 feet to get your bait. You know, you just kind of have to play that according to your, like say, the clarity of your water. Sure, and based upon but, uh, the conditions that you're dealt. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Well, and in, uh, in our final question here, as we uh, 
uh, get ready to, to head out. If you were to give advice to uh, the listeners, you know, on a couple baits that they need to have in hand, you know, that, that you've had great success with, what would you pass on to them and, and what should they have tied on the end of their rods and reels that you've had success with? Well, it depends on if they want to win bass tournaments or if they want to catch fish. <laughs> okay. Uh, if they want to catch fish, if, it, if we're talking to John Q. Public and you want to catch fish, a shaky head worm is probably one of the easiest baits to throw and probably produces as many bass around the world as anywhere. Uh, and, I mean, that'll catch a fish. It, pretty much anywhere we go, that'll catch a fish. Um, the only thing that won't allow you to catch them on a shaky head a lot of times is water clarity. Uh, my favorite thing to fish tournaments with and to win tournaments with is a jig of some form or fashion. You know, I feel like a crawfish to a bass is it's like a steak dinner to you and I. It's You know, it's not something you get every night, but when you do get it, you really enjoy it, you know. And I really think a crawfish is a, you know, that's a steak dinner for a bass. He just really enjoys eating a crawfish. We're chasing around shad all day long, you know. he's He likes them and he eats them because it fills him up, but if he sees a crawdad, he'll turn a shad down and, and go eat the crawdad instead of the shad. And so, therefore, I've been fortunate enough to win a few tournaments on a jig around all over the country and in my lifetime. And so my favorite bait would probably be a jig in some form or fashion. Well, and it puts you uh, at confidence and obviously uh, puts you at better odds with, with the bass as well. Oh, absolutely. You know, you just you got a better chance at catching him, you know, day in, day out on a jig. You know, it's not a, not got a lot of hooks on it. You know, I'm, I'm not a big treble hook fan. Sure. Uh, never have been, you know. And, and when I say that, I just... You know, I'm more into jigs and fishing slow, stuff like that. Uh, you know, my jig might weigh an eighth of an ounce, or it might weigh an ounce and a quarter. You know, it's it kind of depends on where I'm fishing. I've won tournaments on each each kind, so that's kind of what I enjoy fishing is a jig of some form or fashion. Well, there you have it, and there you are. Dion, thank you uh, so much for your time and, and really going into depth. Uh, a lot of great information that we can take and actually improve our skill set when we're out on the water. Wish you the best of luck uh, in the upcoming events and uh, look forward to doing it again in the near future. You bet any time. Thanks for having me. You know, Aaron, it's always nice hearing about uh, somebody from Missouri doing well. And, you know, they, that family's been doing it right for a long time. Boy, they have. I mean, there's no question there. And, uh, of course, there's not very many of us, I guess, that come out of Missouri that, that make anything but uh, of ourselves. But No. Nah. No. Nah. So it's kind nah. of the show-me state, you know. Yeah, <laughs> I hear you. That's why. But, no, uh, what, a, what a great interview. And then, you know, just a, a super guy, in my opinion. Yeah. And I like the way that he still relates to, I know how I feel, when, you know, you still have that passion to get out there and do it, and it's nice to hear that he still has that. Boy, he does, and, you know, you would think being as long as what he's not only competed, but just really hours that he's spent in a bass boat, you know, you, you start questioning yourself, like, does it ever get old, or do, is there, you know, something that ever makes you want to walk away from it? And, boy, it did not take long for him to reply to the standpoint that absolutely not, you know, he cannot wait to strap on a life jacket and, uh, you know, turn the switch of the, that big motor and take off out across the water. Yeah, and he makes a good point, too. Look how many fish people pass. I mean, they'll, they'll sit there and they'll hit one or two times, and instead of taking another rod real quick and trying to slow her presentation, you miss a lot of fish by not doing that. Well, precisely, and I think that's why, you know, um, in, in our conversations, you know, I brought up it's kind of a in vogue, you know, now to fish fast, and, and we're almost creating this perception, not that fishing fast isn't good and, you know, cover water and keep the pace, 
but there's so much of that that is, is discussed and preached. Dion looks at that a little bit different. He's, he's certainly willing to fish fast uh, when he feels that confidence is there. But the other thing that he does not want to do is if an area is holding fish, he is not at all scared to slow down, work through that, and then even perhaps come through it multiple times with different baits uh, to try and pick those fish out. So rather than have to have multiple areas to go to and spots and moving around, you know, he maximizes his time. He's extremely efficient, and most people think of, you know, non-efficiency when you're talking about fishing slow. Um, but just think about how much longer he's keeping his line in the water. Uh, obviously, if he's around fish, you know, not having to, to motor all over and reset and do all those other things, plus just mentally. Yeah, because in the summertime, he's right. You know, the majority of the time, those fish are suspended. Right, and you've got to make the adjustment and the things that are necessary. You don't want to be, obviously, fishing a bottom bait. Like he described, if the, if the fish are looking up, you know, you're, you're fishing below them, it's not doing any good because they're never going to see it unless you happen to cast in the middle of them and they see it going down through the water column <laughs> and respond that way. I just had a visual of a largemouth looking up at top, and all of a sudden, here comes a big chug or a jig and pig coming screaming down at him going, what was that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, if they're down at 15, you better be fishing 12 to 13. Exactly. Yeah. You know, so, yeah, but he's right. I mean, that's a, good, that's a great point. What a great interview. All good stuff. Folks, we need to take another quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk to the Dr. Phil of Bass Edge, Dr. <laughs> J. McNamara, and we're going to learn about the psychology of exceptional fishing, which I know I know nothing about. So right. it'll be all right here for you on the edge. You've got the truck. You've got the toys. Now it's time to get the hitch that gives you more time to play with both. It's the tow and stow receiver hitch by B&W. You want options? Select the ball size, adjust the height to level the trailer, or stow it out of the way in just seconds. It's 10,000 tow and pounds worth of durability, convenience, and the latest technology that has made B&W famous. The tow and stow receiver hitch by B&W. Call 1-866-BEST-HITCH. Welcome back to The Edge, the official podcast of Bass Edge. All right, we are back on The Edge, and joining us for this week's installment of The Inside Edge is Dr. Jay McNamara. Jay, thanks so much again for being part of The Edge. Looking forward to talking with you again, Aaron. Hey, uh, you know, one of the things that just uh, happened not too long ago, a little bit removed from it now, but that is the uh, 2008 Olympics. And, you know, Jay, being in your business and also just with what you do and, and with the things that you talk about in your book, there's a lot of parallels that we can draw from uh, the performances and the experiences that took place there about a month ago. In Beijing. Well, there are, Aaron. You know, uh, it was interesting to read about the various sports psychologists that accompanied U.S. teams to Beijing. Um, many of them emphasized the same principles that we talked about in the book, The Psychology of Exceptional Fishing, and visualization, mental rehearsal, refocusing, distraction control, those kinds of things are exactly the same kinds of things that the weightlifters, the boxers, the rowers, the basketball players, the swimmers all used in, in the Olympics. Well, and, you know, with that, like we've said before, I mean, so many of those techniques, uh, whether it be in business, whether it be in sports, go right over into into fishing. I mean, you know, and when, when you look at presenting a bait or staying in the moment or all the many things that we've talked about so many times on here and also throughout your book, um, you know, where, where can we start? Where can we jump in? Well, here's a good one, Aaron. Uh, these are two uh, water sports, fishing and rowing, and uh, you might not think that fishing and rowing would have much in common, but... One of the uh, most important techniques in rowing is on the return stroke is to get your oar parallel to the water, as close to the water as possible, so there's no additional drag and no additional movement. 
Get your bore back into the forward position as quickly as you can. Drop it into the water with little splash and pull it back to you on the next stroke. That's very, very similar to what bass fishermen do when they do flipping and pitching. If you take your jig or your other bait and flip it across the surface of the water, right near the surface of the water, as close to the surface as you can get it, and let it enter the water with no splash, you're going to catch more fish than if you throw it high in the air and it comes down into the water with a big splash and creates all kinds of commotion. And that's the sort of thing that an individual angler can practice mentally, can do visualization, can do mental rehearsal with that technique, even when they're not on the water. You know, and, and I think that's a great example. And, and when you look at, um, you, you talk about visualization, I mean, who better, well, one of the individuals, I guess, that comes to mind is certainly, you know, Michael Phelps. I mean, he did something that no other individual has ever done. And uh, obviously that is the winning of eight individual gold medals. But he applies basically two different techniques when you kind of look at his individual participation versus those events that he competed in uh, with his team members. Well, you know, one of the things that I was most impressed with watching Michael Phelps was the distraction control. I mean, not only was he the greatest athlete at these events, but he was by far the most uh, aggressively interviewed. Uh, he had more camera time, more interview time than any other three athletes probably. And being able to tune that out and stay focused on what he was doing, he used two great techniques. One, when during his uh, relay events, the team events, uh, he was exquisitely focused on his teammates, talking with his teammates, cheering his teammates on. You could see his focus when he's um, cheering for his fellow swimmers in the water. It was almost as focused as it was when he was swimming himself. The other technique that he used in terms of distraction control for the individual events was he had his headset on right up until the very last instant before he entered the water. Even to the point of getting up on the platform and getting ready for his individual events, he had his headphones on so that nothing else except what Michael Phelps was thinking about was in his head. And those are two great techniques that uh, anglers can use as well. The distraction control concept, however you decide to use it, is a key element in not letting yourself get distracted on the water by jet skiers or water skiers or other thoughts that might enter your mind. You want to be focused exactly on what you're doing right now. Well, it even comes over into what we talk commonly known as, you know, doc talk. You know, everything that's going on maybe before, perhaps before you're getting ready to take off for a tournament that morning or maybe it's at the pre-meeting uh, leading up to the night before the tournament when you're getting paired up with your partners. Or even from the standpoint as a recreational angler, you know, you're hearing a lot of comments, debate shops, things like that. Wouldn't that be a, also kind of an example of what exactly what you're talking about? It is. And, you know, Michael couldn't avoid the Olympic equivalent of doc talk. He couldn't avoid the interviewers. He couldn't avoid the crowd. He couldn't avoid the media people. Um, that's part of the whole experience. But being able to refocus and tune out those distractions and become focused exclusively on what he needed to do when he needed to do that is a key element. Well, so there's a time to talk to... Uh, reporters and then there's a time to focus on swimming and i think uh, part of that is that some of those types of events just like in angling whether it be a weather change or something like that we just have to learn to embrace and then more or less disseminate to say okay now it's time this is what's going on let's let's focus let's stay focused here and uh, just go do what got us to the dance that's exactly right uh, that singularity of focus you can practice that in whatever it is that you do staying exquisitely focused on this thing for 20 seconds, 30 seconds, 40 seconds, uh, a full minute. And if you can translate that, that into your fishing, uh, you'll even if you only tune out a few more distractions the next time you go fishing than you did 
uh, previously, uh, you'll get better. And it's a cumulative thing. The more you practice distraction control, the more you practice staying focused on what you're doing, the better you will get over the long run. It's a cumulative process. Well, and, and again, kind of in our closing point here, I think uh, another example is the fact of, you know, you hear us talk a lot about fishing the moment, staying, you know, don't worry about what happened yesterday or in the past or, or past performance. There's also been some examples of that that we saw in the Olympics. Well, I think the very best example of that is the U.S. men's basketball team. They didn't have a very impressive uh, track record coming into this uh, Olympics in international competition over the last few years. And yet if you listen to the interviews with Kobe Bryant and LeBron James and Dwayne Wade and all the rest of the teammates, uh, their focus was exclusively on what we're going to be doing here. It's not, well, geez, we did this wrong and that happened before. And there was none of that, really. It's here's our team now. Here's what our focus needs to be here. Um, going back to the basics, you know, contest every shot, share the basketball, play team ball, and we, if we do that and play our game, uh, we'll be okay. And uh, that's exactly what they did. Well, and I think an example of, of how that translates into fishing is you can't allow basically missed opportunities. Maybe you lost a fish. Maybe you broke one off, or in an, especially in a team situation. You know, you have to function as a unit uh, together. And, you know, you've heard us say many, many times that uh, fishing kind of in a partner situation uh, sometimes is a lot more difficult than fishing individually. Absolutely is. Well, Aaron, you and I have both seen uh, top professionals and their response to uh, either catching a big fish or losing a big fish. And the very best anglers, as we've all seen, in a sense, act like it doesn't matter. They just either drop the broken line with the rod with a broken line on it, or they drop the big fish in the tank, and they go right back to what they were doing. It's almost as if it didn't happen. There's plenty of time to celebrate or be disappointed when the day of fishing is over, but in the moment, all there is is the next cast. That's exactly right, Jay. And, um, you know, unfortunately, we are out of time. I, I will tell you, I'm, I'm just now starting to recover from what I call my Olympic hangover because I stayed up pretty late uh, watching a lot of that. But it was, it was a true joy to see all the athletes uh, really perform at uh, the best level, see some of the best uh, competitors in the world and uh, be able to draw from that into the fishing community. Um, real quickly, before we get off here, though, I know uh, you have a busy week coming up. Uh, you start, I think, as the keynote speaker uh, this week on the 17th there in Gatlinburg for SEOPA. Uh, the Southeast Outdoor Press Association is having their annual conference this year in Gatlinburg, Tennessee, and uh, we do have the opportunity to go down there and uh, talk to the, the people about um, psychological techniques as it applies to uh, outdoor press industry. So that will be a lot of fun, and we'll, uh, we'll bring the book along and see if people are interested in that. Uh, if people are interested here, the Psychology of Exceptional Fishing is available on the BassEdge.com website. Uh, click on Shop Bath Edge, and you'll find the book. Well, in uh, in closing, Jay, we uh, certainly wish you the best of luck there. I know that uh, is very, very interesting to see how that's that's really starting to kind of take the outdoors world, not only in fishing, but also in hunting uh, by storm. Real quick, any uh, closing uh, email address or that, that you can leave us with uh, for our viewers and uh, listeners to get in touch with you? Sure. If people would like to ask individual questions or want to find more about the book, jay.drfish, so j.drfish at gmail.com or you can contact me through the uh, bassage.com website as well. Well, Jay, once again, uh, thank you so much for your time and we look forward to talking with you in the near future. Okay, Aaron. See you later. When I'm fishing in a tournament, time is critical. I need fast, easy access to my lures. My Cook's go-to tackle system keeps my bait organized, tangle-free, and within easy reach. It installs in minutes under any deck lid, maximizing the storage space of my boat. 
and its durable construction lasts even through the harshest conditions. Get organized with Cook's Tackle System by calling 1-888-390-8780 or online at cooksgoto.com. Welcome back to The Edge. Hi, welcome back on The Edge, and that was a great Inside Edge segment from our own Dr. J. I always get a lot out of him, and, you know, of course, we're a little bit removed, uh, you know, from the Olympics, but I thought the topic of visualization and then kind of comparing, you know, through the different sports, uh, whether it be with rowing, you know, compared to flipping and pitching like he did, or Phelps, you know, with his distraction control and some of those things, I, I just think that that's not only relevant to fishing, but really just in our everyday lives of whether it be at work or uh, what have you. Yeah, you know what I like about Michael Phelps? The guy eats 12,000 calories a day and has no fat on him. Is There's no fairness in that whatsoever. No, but he did you look at his medal. schedule, though? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good you know, I'd be happy if I could eat half of that a day and not gain weight. Yeah. Yep. Called metabolism, maybe. Uh, I, I don't know how he's doing it. Or exercise. <laughs> yeah, I guess so, because even when I swim like that, I don't. if I even look at a Hershey bar, I gain 12 pounds. Oh, I hear you. It's crazy. Yeah. Hey, uh, we got another great question this week, and it's uh, from John in Virginia Beach, Virginia, and he wants to know how fast or slow to fish a big 10-inch or bigger plastic worm. Yep, and that uh, we threw that out to Mike Webb, a resident angler, and uh, John, this is a, a, a simple answer, but it's a very important one because some people fish all baits too fast at times, and what's the irony of that being paired with an interview from Dion talking about fishing slow? And that was not by design, I can tell you that. So to answer your question about big worms, you can't fish a big worm too slow. What Mike likes to do is to fish them with a lighter weight uh, than average, maybe going to like a quarter ounce or a 5 sixteenths rather than, let's say, a 3 eighths or a half ounce. What that does is that really forces uh, Mike to, to fish the bait slower because he points that, you know, he really wants to keep that bait in contact with the bottom to allow it to kind of uh, come over any brush pile or structure that's underneath. And uh, that lighter fall or that slower fall will often, uh, you know, produce uh, more strikes. So in order to keep that, uh, that contact with the bottom, Mike's basically just downsizing uh, the size of his weight. And, uh, you know, hopefully this helps you, and thanks a lot. Mike Webb. Yeah, great question, great answer. Hey, uh, have you seen the latest uh, newsletter? I have seen the latest newsletter. Okay. It looks pretty good, don't you think? I, I think it was uh, exceptionally well done. <laughs> and uh, you know, the reason I'm asking was I thought for sure by now I'd have a couple of my uh, Christmas lists or, you know, stuff that, because I, I know Mom watches it every week. And yeah. Yeah, you know, if mom needs to know what I need for groceries. <laughs> you, you need to post that out there. Is what I, I got, you know, I got to get everything I can. I mean, we, we only got like uh, three more months till Christmas. Well, time, I, I hear you, and you know, you got to start now before uh, before somebody forgets. Uh, you know, actually, there's uh, what I'm saying is there's pretty much everything there that you could ask for, uh, excluding a Christmas list. But uh, I, that is really well done, and I, it's neat to see. And I can't believe you guys aren't charging for that. No, I mean, you know, and and again, the whole theme behind really anything that's designed here at Bass Edge is. You know, just provide the information. And uh, every, the thing that I like about, I, I really like about that e-newsletter is it's exclusive content. It does not yeah. get posted onto the website until 30 days after, you know, it's already went out to kind of our uh, family of, of e-newsletter subscribers. So if you're not getting that and not signed up for that, you're kind of missing out. You're a little bit delayed, but uh, all of our current events, all the new videos, a lot of uh, new articles and content go there first. Uh, in addition to the website, but yeah, a lot of, and that's where we're going to be. We've got some major announcements that's going to be coming up fourth quarter uh, that we're pretty excited about. I know that uh, the new 
uh, dealer kits and stuff that's going out to the you know the product that's that's hitting all the major retailers and stuff right now. So a lot of uh, neat things going on. Absolutely. Hey, and uh, don't forget about Ask the Pro section. And if you are going to send in a nice question for us to read, please put your address and contact info on there. We say that every week, but until they quit yelling at us, we have to tell you. And, and don't forget, uh, if you're an iTunes subscriber and you're getting us through iTunes, please make sure that you go out and rate us. We want to know how we're meeting your needs and if we can do better. Absolutely. All right. Next week we have... Pro Jared Littner. That's right. That that should be pretty interesting. Oh yeah, he's of course uh, lives out in California, but he fishes the BASS Elite Series. So again, just another uh, you know very very talented angler. And then for the Inside Edge, uh, we get to catch back up with our good friend and fisheries biologist, Pond Boss Editor in Chief, and that is Mr. Bob Lusk. All right. Anything else we need to touch before we get out of here? No. I uh, stay in touch, and uh, like I said, keep checking the website, e-newsletter, and all the the normal things, and uh, look forward to another great show. Uh, next Saturday. All right. And for all you people out there in the armed services that are listening, thank you so much for doing that. Thank you for your service. And uh, we want to hear from as many as you can. And uh, you just stay safe and get home as soon as you can. We'll see you next week, folks. For Aaron Martin, this is Outdoors Dan. We'll see you next time right here on The Edge. Bass Edge would like to thank the following sponsors who make the Edge audio program possible. Ditch Witch, Mother's Waxes and Polishes, B&W Trailer Hitches, MegaWare Keel Guard, Cook's Tackle Management Systems, Ardent Rule the Water, Legend Boats, O'Reilly Auto Parts, Superstar Batteries, and the Clarks Hill Partnership of Georgia. For more information on Bass Edge, including our television show, training materials, e-newsletter, and podcast, please visit www.bassedge.com. Be sure to join us next week on The Edge.